0: Let's uh, bow together. Father, you are a tremendous, wonderful God, and we praise you for your Son Jesus, for who He is and what He has done for us. And we thank you for this opportunity to worship you and to praise you and to give you the glory to your name. And I pray as we look into your Word today that you would enable us to see and understand what you intended that we would not just simply understand, but we would grow, that we would be instructed, that we would become more like your son Jesus, and that you would be glorified. So, Father, we thank you for this morning, and we commit this time to you. In your son's name, amen. Well, when you think of mankind, what do you think of in terms of man's greatest problem? Well, if you were to talk to unbelievers... Uh, you'd probably get all kinds of answers, uh, maybe poverty or global warming or uh, the rich or health or CO2 in the air. You might get all kinds of different answers, and many of them will be political. But yet, what does God say man's greatest problem is? Well, if you read the scriptures and you're willing to listen, you will quickly determine that man's greatest problem is sin. Man's greatest problem is sin. And because we are all in sin, separated from God initially before coming to Christ, our greatest problem is sin. Sin is our problem. Now inherent in sin is pride and self-sufficiency and self-exaltation and self-focus. So in a sense you could say man's greatest problem is really man or sinful man, right? So with that in mind, for those of us who have trusted in Jesus and received forgiveness of sins through his blood, comes by this death on the cross, uh, we, as we trust the Lord, we realize, we understand that our sin has been taken care of on the cross. That we are forgiven. That we're forgiven. And yet we also realize each and every day that we are not glorified yet. We still sin. We are still selfish at times. Uh, And thus we experience conflict and disunity at times Now we've been looking at the book of philippians and we've seen how we can have unity in the midst of the body of christ amongst one another And it's only by having the mind of christ having his thoughts through his word reigning over and controlling our thoughts That we will truly see one another as more important than ourselves That we will look out not only for our own interests, but for the interests of others Now, as we've learned in the book of Philippians, it's when we have the mind of Christ revealed from the word reigning in our hearts that we will have unity, peace and joy. And we saw last week uh, the perfect example of the mind of Christ manifest that although in the form of God, uh, Jesus Christ did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and becoming like man, men, that is, having taken on human flesh, the same God in human flesh, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We saw that the mind of Christ will be manifest in serving the Lord and thus one another in obedience to his word. Now hopefully last week we were convicted concerning our thinking and concerning the temptations and how we look at one another and how we look at the Lord. And yet, maybe you've found, as probably all of us had, that we've failed. We've had times of selfishness or times where we were not uh, considering others as more important than ourselves. And we find ourselves in a position thinking, how can we continue as believers to keep thinking like Jesus Christ? And that's what we're going to see today as we learn from his supreme example that humility precedes Exaltation to so turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2 and we're continuing our study now in verses 9 through 11 And it's about 62 AD and the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church. He's very close to them He's under house arrest in Rome and he is about to go before Caesar not knowing whether he would live or die He has shared the gospel with the Philippians in their founding 10 years earlier and in this letter he has revealed his thankfulness for that work that God has done in them already, but that also God will complete that work. God will complete that work. And he has prayed that their love uh, for one another, for Christ, would abound in true knowledge and all discernment so that they would make the right choices. They would choose the excellent things. And we learn that's what God wants for us so that God would be glorified, God would be magnified. And he's made it clear concerning his circumstances that although he's in chains, uh, the gospel is not changed, and that God is using his circumstances to progress the gospel. And he knew that no matter what happened, whether he lived or died, that he desired Christ to be magnified in his life, to live as Christ and to die as gain. But he had, inspired by the Spirit, insight that he would stay on, and it would be the be- most important for, this, for, the, for the benefit of the Philippians. And then he moved from his circumstances to the Philippians' circumstances, and he called them, and we saw that we are to walk as heavenly citizens, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the gospel of Christ. We are to stand firm in the truth. We are to strive together for the truth. We are to not be afraid of the opposition to the truth, knowing that it's a sign that they're on their, we're on our way to glory, and they're on their way to destruction. Then we came to chapter 2, where we saw how specifically we can remain united in the church, have unity in the church, maintain that unity. How we can do so and with that in mind We come to our passage, which is connected to what we've seen in the last few weeks Where again, I believe we're going to see how we can maintain that thinking like christ As we see christ's supreme example Let's read our passage But let's back up and look at what we saw last week in verses 5 through 8 Then we'll see what we'll look at today in 9 through 11 Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in christ jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then our passage. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Tremendous passage, tremendous passage which reveals the mind of Christ and what Christ did in the incarnation, and we're going to see that the way up is down, and that true humility precedes exaltation. And that should motivate us to continue a walk of true humility before the Lord during this life because God in his right timing will exalt us when it is his time. And Christ is the example of this. So with this in mind, let's just briefly review what we saw last week. The mind of Christ, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. We are to have the mind or the thinking of Christ... As God's Word rules our hearts and minds, we think like Christ. It's the Word of Christ that enables us to think like Christ. It's His thoughts revealed in His Word that enable us to confront our thinking and apply His Word to our thinking, to renew our minds. And folks, when God's Word rules our thoughts, the Spirit of God convicts us through the Word of God. When our hearts are humbled, and we see others as more important than ourselves, even though we're equal in Christ, but we we choose to voluntarily lower ourselves for this time on earth. When we do so, when we obey the Lord, not in false humility, but in true humility, when we serve Him, humbling ourselves in full obedience, then we're going to see God working in us. We're going to see that, His mind working in us. Indeed, we saw the perfect example of Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard, regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. The tremendous reality of what we call the incarnation, where God, the Son, in obedience to the Father, took on human flesh because of his great love for us. And in the incarnation, he did not consider equality that he had with the Father to be something to be grasped or to be held on to. He let it go. And he fully trusted the Father and did the Father's will by the power of the Holy Spirit in his humanity while still being fully God. And he did so all the way to the cross where he obeyed. He did not come to serve, but to, he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And not only did he empty himself of his prerogatives of his God during that time, although he's fully God, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. True biblical humility is the willing release of one's own will to do the will of God. To see yourself where you truly are before God, it is a voluntarily lowing oneself to obey God's word and to bring about and praise the, praise the Lord we have in the example of Christ who humbled himself and died for our sins. It is thinking biblically in regards to ourselves and one another and thus the Lord. You see, if we see ourselves rightly from God's point of view, we will recognize we are truly nothing apart from him. We are Nothing. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 3, in regards to the exhortation to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, we have this statement. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We should be serving one another, but when we think we're something, we won't serve one another because we think we are something, right? But here he says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Lower yourself down to where you really are and serve one another. We saw it in chapter 2 in in verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each one of you regard one another as more important than himself. Now Christ had equality with God, but he lowered himself, he humbled himself. We're equal in Christ, but yet we should see ourselves lower and see one another as more important than one another. And it says here, do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Yes, we still look out for our own interests, but scope out or look at scopeo, but also for the interests of others. We are to be considering how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. We should be thinking about one another in all of our relationships. And if I consider God as more important than myself, then I'm going to obey Him at my work, do my work heartily unto Him. If I consider Him as more important in my marriage, I'm going to obey Him and love my wife. If I consider Him as more important, and that will cause me to consider those around me as more important. It's a change of mindset concerning one another. It's a humility of mind, and it's in the context of serving and obeying the Lord. What did the Lord Jesus tell the Pharisees who thought they were hot stuff? They loved the titles and stuff. They wanted to be elevated, right? What did he tell them concerning being elevated? Matthew 23. He says, They love the place of banquets, verse verse, uh, 6, and the chief seats in the synagogues, and respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called by men, Rabbi. But do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on your earth your father, for one is your father, who he is in heaven. And do not be called leaders. And this is all in the context of taking titles, by the way, and elevating yourself. One is your father. And do not be called leaders, for one is your leader. that is Christ. And the Lord Jesus said, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be Exalted. Exalted. You see, the Lord God humbled himself and being found in appearance of men, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humbling yourself consists of seeing yourself rightly before God and thus having a different viewpoint towards your brothers and sisters and towards him. And thus obeying him even to the point of the end of this life, right? Obeying him. You see, and that's our problem, right? So we need to renew our minds. We know that. So how can we maintain this? This focus well the reality is this life considers sufferings and if you are obeying christ and you are humbling self you're going to enter into trouble jesus said a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they're going to persecute you when you serve jesus as a servant as christ came he came to serve and guess what he was persecuted and crucified led up by godless men according to god's predetermined plan You're going to suffer when you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, when you humble yourself. And guess what? That's not very fun. It's not very fun to be persecuted. It's not fun to suffer. It is hard. It is difficult. So how do we endure and keep thinking like Christ, keep choosing to think that way? Well, we're going to see today that we have to have a different mindset, that this life is a time of humility, but God will, in His time, exalt you. And we'll see what that means because we always add a sinful thinking to that at times. I'm talking about God exalting in a a way that would glorify Him. The Apostle Paul had this understanding in the midst of this. He had this understanding in the midst of difficulties. Turn to Romans chapter 8. We need to renew our minds because if we don't, we won't continue to lay down our lives in a sense. We'll keep taking them back up. We need to see this life right because we see the next life right you see romans chapter 8 verse 16 paul says the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of god and i think the spirit does that through the word of god by the way in light of other scriptures and if children heirs and if heirs of god this is uh romans eight seventeen. now fellow heirs with christ if, and here's the clause, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There's the sufferings for the glories to follow. Don't forget that. And he says, for I consider the presence, the sufferings of this present world not to be worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed. We're going to see today that Christ was the same For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame that there would be the exaltation of Christ. We're not going to be exalted like him because we're not God, but we're to think like him as we're going to see. And because of his humility, he was exalted to his rightful place. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, you know, we almost came to the point of death. And he says later on in that chapter, he says, so death works in us because God produces his life in us when we're about to die, when we're suffering, when we're suffering. And then he begins to reveal his mindset, why he doesn't lose heart. You see, we lose heart all the time because we don't have our hearts right. When our hearts are on the wrong things, we lose heart, don't we? We need to be encouraged and built up, and God knows that, and he wants to do that for you second corinthians chapter four therefore we in verse 16 therefore we do not lose heart but though the outer man is decaying yet the inner man is being renewed day by day for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison the affliction we're experiencing for serving christ and he said this earlier in chapter four that we are bond servants of christ we serve him See us as servants. The affliction that you receive for that is nothing compared to the glories that are going to be revealed. It's far beyond comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I just read this a minute ago from Matthew. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. That's a principle God lays forth in His Word. And we're to look at the Lord Jesus Christ as our perfect example. We're to have the mindset that He had in His humility, which brought about His exaltation, by the way. So, with this in mind, I believe one of the supreme motivations that we're going to see is to look at the person of Christ and what He did for us. And that should motivate us to endure because God is faithful to bring about what he has promised. And he will do so. He will bring about the glories to follow for those who are truly his. This life is not it. We're in the midst of sin and sorrow. He's going to bring it about. And we need to renew our minds in the midst of the difficulty. So with that in mind, I believe how we're to continue to maintain the mindset of Christ apart from the reality that we need to be in the word of God, that we need to be renewing our hearts, that we need to let it convict us, that we need to think differently apart from that, We need to be motivated. And God motivates us here by the glories to follow. Look at our passage. I'm going to read what we just looked at into our passage. Have this attitude in yourselves, verse 5, Philippians 2, which was also in Christ Jesus. Think this way. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, And being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearances of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now God, in the next few verses, is not going to share his attitude that we're going to have. He's going to share the result of his attitude. Therefore, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Here we have the earthly humility of Christ, in contrast, in a sense, with the heavenly exaltation, the heavenly exaltation after death and his resurrection. Now, as we begin our passage, we need to see the connections with what has gone on here. Notice it says here in verse nine, we have the term uh, "Therefore also." Those are two Greek conjunctions, dia, dio and chi, they're put together. And you could kind of say it this way, for this obvious reason, for this obvious reason, God did what? God the Father in context, highly exalted in context, highly exalted in the same context, Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at that in a minute. Therefore also for this obvious reason, and what's the obvious reason? The obvious reason is his humility and obedience unto death. The obvious reason is him taking on a form of a bondservant. The obvious reason is him not seeing his equality with God a thing to be grasped, but obeying to the point of death, even death on a cross. The obvious reason is humility. Second Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. That, by, that through his poverty you might become rich. God the Son, who existed in the very form of God, took on the form of a servant, became like us, and he was obedient to the point of death. God the Father loved us so much, he sent his only begotten Son. And see how great a love we have that we should be called children of God. He would do this for us. He demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Paul wants us to see, inspired by the Spirit of God, Christ's supreme example. It is only through humility that one is exalted, and genuine biblical humility, thinking like Jesus Christ. No one is ever going to be exalted apart from Christ, manifest in them, thinking like Christ. Thinking like Christ. Paul is commanding believers to have the mind of Christ, to see others as more supreme, to humbly lower oneself, to obediently serve God and his people. That's humility. And Jesus showed us that example that for his followers and for us that the way up is down. The way up is down. We'll see a lot of other passages on that later on. We're to humble ourselves before his mighty hand that he would exalt us at the proper time. And I believe we're going to see that proper times after we die. So in our passage, we have his exaltation. Now we get some tremendous truth about the person of Jesus Christ. Some tremendous truth in verse 9 where we see his rightful exaltation. Therefore also, or, or for this obvious reason, God highly exalted him god highly exalted him we have god the father highly exalting jesus christ the son now for those of you who may have been influenced by the oneness pentecostal cult the reality is in scripture jesus is not the father the father is not jesus there are three distinct persons in the godhead god is one here always with the lord your god is one but yet god has revealed himself in three persons the father the son and the holy spirit Do I understand it? No, but do I believe it? You bet I do. And so here we have God the Father highly exalting God the Son, Jesus Christ, because of his great humility in being a servant and dying for our sins, right? Being obedient to the point of death. So here we see that Christ did not exalt himself, but the Father exalted him. Christ didn't exalt himself. Even in his exaltation, he didn't exalt himself. He didn't rise from the dead and zoom to the top and take his place. Rightfully, he could have. The Father exalted him. Therefore, God highly exalted him. Now, this term, highly exalt, speaks of status. It means to exalt highly, okay? It means to supremely exalt. And it would speak of putting someone in the most important position there is. The top position, the most important position of of honor and power. It was not just that God the Father exalted Jesus, but he highly exalted him. He put him in the highest place there is. Because Christ had gone to the lowest place. He had become like us. What humility. He had humbled himself. He didn't even use his deity on his own prerogative. He trusted the Father. He humbled himself, he became poor that we might become rich. And therefore God highly exalted him, put him in the place, the highest position of authority and power after he died for our sins and rose from the dead. Indeed, the scriptures reveal that after the incarnation, Christ was was exalted to the position of glory and honor that only God, as we will see, deserves. But yet there's one difference. Before the Incarnation, God the Son was in the most powerful position of honor as God. And now after the Incarnation, He is in the most powerful permission, position, but He is also man, fully God and fully man forever. Therefore, the God-man Jesus Christ was highly exalted. There were a few scriptures, and I can't share them all, that, that prophesied this truth in the Old Testament. Turn to Psalm 110 just going to read verse 1 a psalm of david the lord says to my lord sit at my right hand until i make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet sit at my right hand now keep that in mind and go to isaiah chapter 52 isaiah chapter 52 we're going to start at verse 13 we get to isaiah it's in the middle of your bibles isaiah 52 verse 13 Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and what? Greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths on account of of him. For what had not been told them they will see and what they had not heard they will understand." He says he will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Greatly exalted. Well, what is the place of his exaltation right now? Where is he exalted to? Turn the New Testament to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. We see first of all in verse 14 in Hebrews 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. And then go up to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 26. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. We sing that song, Be exalted, O God, right? Exalted above the heavens. Now go back to chapter 1 of Hebrews and look at the first verse. Chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications of of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His rightful position. The right hand speaks of the the position of authority and power. He is above all. He's above all. And in Ephesians chapter 1, Bob read this earlier. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1. Paul wants us to know what are the surpassing greatness of these tremendous truths, and one of them is the surpassing greatness of his power towards those who believe, verse 19. And he talks about the power of God, the resurrection power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. He says these are in accordance, verse, verse, middle verse 19 of Ephesians 1, with the working of his strength and might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places he highly exalted him right after his incarnation far above all rule and authority power dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come he seated him far above everything everything and he has put all things into subjection under his feet and god gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He's been exalted supreme over everything. He is the supreme God. He is in the most important place of honor and power. And we see that God did so, that Christ would have first place in everything. We see in Colossians 1.18, in line with what we just read in Ephesians, he also is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That means the the preeminent one, by the way. So that he might come to have first place in everything. In everything. You see, the world doesn't see Jesus right. The world doesn't exalt Christ at all. The world uses his name in vain. The world doesn't care, right? The world doesn't care about Jesus. And one of our problems, at times, Christ is not exalted in our hearts as the sovereign over everything, as in control of everything. We, we go through this life as though things are falling apart, but Christ is in control. He holds all things together, and if he is your God, he will lead you, he will protect you, he will, he will lead you to what he wants you to do. He's faithful. Yet our problem is he is dethroned in our hearts daily and we exalt ourselves, making our own decisions and trusting in ourselves rather than trusting in Christ. The same Christ who died for your sins, as we will see, is the great I Am who is now exalted in the heavens in his rightful place above everything. Everything. So we see here that he was highly exalted therefore because of this self-evident reason because of his humility in dying for our sins he is highly exalted above everything everything is he highly exalted in your heart above everything is jesus christ truly lord in your heart is he the lord that's we're going to see is he the lord in your heart because he is lord he is highly exalted whether we believe it or not he is So within this, this tremendous truth that he's highly exalted, but also there's some other truths that happened here. Not only was he highly exalted, we have another portion here. And it says in verse 9, Therefore also God highly exalted him and did something, and bestowed on him, back in Philippians 2, verse 9, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. In super-exalting Christ to his rightful place as God, which he always was, but he he humbled himself, super-exalting him, he also was given the name which is above all names. He is given the name. The term bestowed speaks of graciously or freely granted. There was no reservation in granting this name. Just freely given the name which is above all names. Without reservation, God bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. A name represents people, right? You know, when I think of a name, it represents a person, right? When I think of so-and-so, that name represents them. And now here, this name represents Christ, but it has a meaning to it, as we're going to see. It is the name which is above every name. Well, that leads to the question, what name is above every name? What is the name that is above every name? That is, what is that name that he was granted after he rose from the dead when he was highly exalted? What was that name? Now, if you did a quick reading of the text, you might just say the name is Jesus. And yet, if we study it closely, you might come to a different conclusion. I believe we're going to see it's the name that Jesus possesses, which is Lord. We're going to see that. And I'll show you why. Just about every commentator that looks at this says that's what it is. And that's not simply why we choose so. So we'll look at the text ourselves and determine for ourselves. If we study the text, Therefore God highly exalted on him bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and those who are, on heaven, who are in heaven and on the earth and on, under the earth. And again, you say, what a second. It sounds like it's Jesus here. And I would agree with you if we didn't have verse 11, which we're going to look at in a minute. Notice our text says, therefore, because of his obedience to the point of death, God did two things. He highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. Now we know the name of Jesus, what that means. The Lord is salvation. You shall name him Jesus. He took that name on when he took on human flesh. God the Son, the Christ, the Messiah, came and took on human flesh. And he was, And Joseph and Mary were both told, Matthew 1 and Luke 1, to name him Jesus. Yeshua. Yeshua, the Lord, is salvation. And we see that. So first of all, we see the name of Jesus was given to him, first of all, at the beginning of his humility, not his exaltation. It was already given to him. So here he's, in our passage, he is bestowing upon him a name. After he's exalted. He highly exalted him and gave him a name. But we know that the name of Jesus was already given to him. What about secondly here? In the text, there's an the interesting portion in the Greek grammar at that at the name of Jesus, it's in a genitive. What does that mean? Well, simply genitive speaks of possession. I could say it this way. N- name of Bob or Bob's name name of bob or bob's name right and it can it can take different grammatical elements now if we didn't have verse 11 i would say the name is jesus that we're that is highly exalted but with verse 11 i think it's with another reference here we're going to see that it's the name that belongs to jesus at bob's name the name he possesses they say he's a police officer right, or something like that. But, but at the name that Jesus possesses, every knee should bow. And so what is the name that the Lord Jesus possesses? What is the name that he alone holds on to? What is that? As we're going to see, it's the Lord. And You say I'm a little confused, but let's look at the passage. I think it'll be cleared up. Verse 9. Therefore also God highly exalted him, bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, or Jesus' name, the name he possesses, that's very clear in the Greek, every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that, what? Jesus Christ is Lord. The knee bows to his name, he's Lord, the tongue confesses he's Lord. I believe that's what it's saying: that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Christ was given the name Jesus in the incarnation, but declared to be the Lord at His exaltation, the name above all names. One pastor writes: God was not only exalt, God, not only exalted Him, but more specifically, He gave Him the name that is above every other every other name. The term "gave" means graciously given, and the reference to the name serves. Not only to function to identify Jesus, but also something about him. It is the name of the Lord that was given to him. Therefore, Jesus enters into ruling functions as God, the name and all that goes with it. And it was not acquired with selfish ambition, but lowly submission. Turn to Acts chapter 2. and We see this in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. See, we're going to see that every knee is going to bow to Jesus the Lord. Every knee is going to bow to, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the point, that he's the Lord. Because people give Jesus the name right now, and they say, okay, Jesus, who cares? They don't see him as Lord, as Lord. Acts 2.32. This Jesus God raised up, and I, I can't read the whole thing I wish I could for time's sake, but it's you can read back this Jesus acts two three two God raised up again, Peter says to which we are all witnesses, therefore, having been what exalted to the right hand of God that's what we're seeing right, and having been received from the received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit which he poured out forth this "...which he poured forth, this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until my enemies make a footstool for thy feet. Therefore let all the houses of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified." He was always the Lord in Christ, but when he took on his humility, he did not appear that way. He didn't have it as something to be grasped. He was seen as a man, the God-man. And when he was exalted, the Lord has made him, not that he wasn't. He has declared that he is both Lord and Christ. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Christ. So you might be saying, well, what's the big deal about this term Lord? Well, the Greek term Lord speaks of, comes from the Greek word kurios, and that same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament corresponds to the Hebrew word Yahweh. Now, Yahweh has been transliterated Jehovah, and that's where we see it. But Yahweh means, it's, it simply is the verb to be, and it's the first person in the present tense, I am. That's what the term Lord means, I am. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. This is when Moses is wanting to tell the sons of Israel, what am I going to tell them your name is? When he's talking to the Lord at the burning bush. Exodus 3 verse 13. Then Moses said to who? To God. Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel and shall say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Yahweh, that's the word Yahweh. And he said to you, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent you, sent me to you. The reality is the term Lord speaks of deity. It speaks of God. It speaks of the sovereign privileges of God alone, the Lord of the universe. And Jesus Christ is Lord. He was exalted because of his humility. He was exalted, highly exalted, and he was given the name which was above all names, that the name he possesses, that Jesus, this this lowly which we saw coming in human flesh and rose from the dead, which he possesses, which is Lord and as we will see that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord to the glory of the Father. You know, sometimes we can make the mistake of seeing Jesus only as he was during his humility. You know, and we can learn much from the Gospels about his character. We see God in human flesh. But the reality is he, is, he, he had humbled himself and he is now super exalted back to his rightful place as Lord at the right hand of the father and we need to recognize that we see as i mentioned earlier in second corinthians 8 9 for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor that through your through that you through his poverty would become rich john chapter 17 on the night that jesus was betrayed he's praying And he's talking to the Father, and he says this in John chapter 17, verse 5. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory with which we had before the world was. Super exalt me back to where I was in the place of sovereign reign as the God of the universe. You see, he humbled himself. He didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. And after he died, God then super highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. Now we're going to see the purposes for that. In our passage, there are actually two purposes. Look here in, uh, in verse uh, 9, and we'll read through verse 10. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. He was super exalted and given the name that's above every name so that two things would happen. Every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We see this here. Turn to Isaiah chapter 45. Here the apostle Paul is quoting this passage in Isaiah 45. Tremendous passage. In context, uh, uh, the lifeless uh, God is comparing these lifeless idols to Himself. They're nothing. And look what Isaiah says here, inspired by the Spirit. Isaiah 45 verse 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself that the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. That, look at this, that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me only in the Lord our righteousness and strength. Men will come to him and all who are angry at him shall be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Paul quotes this passage that every knee will bow and everyone will give allegiance to God. And in our passage, it's saying everyone will bow their knee and give allegiance to Jesus Christ, the Lord. He is God. He is God. Now notice the purpose of it. First of all, that every knee should bow. You have this uh, clause here. It's a hint clause, and it gives purpose. That you'll see that, or in order that, that every knee should bow. He has been super exalted and given the name above all names. That for this reason, first, that every knee will bow. Paul is clearly saying, quoting uh, Psalm or Isaiah 45 that Jesus, the Lord God, is the Lord God, and eventually everyone will bow their knee before him. And he's not saying that everyone will be saved, because we know from Scripture not everyone is saved. So what does he mean by bowing a knee? The term bowing a knee means to pay homage, to, to, to bow to one's God. It is a humiliation in a sense. It is a bowing one's heart before God, or bowing one's knee, excuse me. And first of all, we see that every knee will bow. Now, as we look at this, we're going to see that there are those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. And some might say when he says every knee, it speaks of every created thing. Well, we know every created thing is going to give him glory. We know that. But here, I believe, in light of Isaiah chapter 45, he's speaking of those who actually would have knees, those who would actually bow. He's speaking of humanity, that every human being, every created, is going to bow to Jesus. Every single one. And he's going to give a location to where each one could be. Every knee will bow. That at the name of Jesus, back in Isaiah it's speaking of people, that everyone would confess him. Every knee would bow. Jesus has been super exalted and given the name above names so that every knee would eventually bow. And notice we have three categories. First of all, who are going to bow. Those who are in heaven or literally the heavenlies. If it's speaking of just simply men, it's speaking of believers in heaven, because there's not non-believers in heaven, I'll tell you right now. It's those who have passed away, and they are in Christ, they are in heaven. Old Testament and New Testament saints. And it could be those in heaven at that time, could be, could be those... And you say, well, wait a second, why would believers bow their knee? They already do bow their knee, don't they? Well, as Bob read earlier in Romans chapter 14, turn there. We're all going to bow our knees again but we're going to do it voluntarily, willingly, and for his glory. Romans chapter 14. Paul is telling the the weaker brethren in the church not to judge, and the stronger brethren in the faith to not just look down with contempt. And he says this. Romans chapter 14, verse 10. But But why do you judge your brother? Again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all, speaking to believers by the way, all stand before the judgment seat. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. If this, when we die, we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to bow our knee before him at the judgment seat. We're going to give an account as believers. What we do in this life does matter. If you trust in the Lord, there's there's eternal reward. You don't trust him, there's loss. Yet our sins are forgiven. But notice back in our passage, it's also those who are on the earth or literally the earthlies. I believe that speaks of every person who's alive at that time or maybe now or whenever when Christ comes. But there's the three locations that human beings can be. There's only three right now. In the heavenlies, on earth, alive, or under the earth. What does this term under the earth speak of? I believe it's speaking of the place of the unrighteous dead being held uh, in punishment, awaiting judgment, awaiting the, the, the second death. Luke 16, we see uh, the place called Hades. It's under the earth we see. The sad truth is that all who rejected Christ, who refused to bow to him during this life, will for eternity, in eternal punishment, bow to him. And there will be no chance for redemption. No chance. One pastor says it this way, wouldn't it be horrible to spend your life rebelling against Jesus Christ only to spend all eternity in torment, bowing your knees to him anyway? One thing for sure, there will be no rebellion in hell. All will submit to Jesus Christ. Everyone will then know that he is the only Savior and Lord. But for those who did not trust him in this life, it will be too late. And still, for all eternity in hell, they will suffer eternal condemnation. They will pay homage and give him glory. Every knee is going to bow to Jesus Christ. Every knee. Because he's the Lord. He's the Lord. Every knee will bow. God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, so that every knee will bow. Friend, you can willingly bow now before the Lord. Motivated by his love, his graciousness and forgiveness. His giving his life for you. You can bow before him and receive forgiveness of sins. You can't enter the kingdom unless you humble yourself like a child. Humble yourself and bow before Jesus. Believe what he has said, that you're a sinner and that you need salvation, that you need to repent and trust in him. Bow your heart. You can bow in the context of love, grace, mercy and kindness. Or you can bow in the midst of his holy judgment and righteousness forever and ever so then the first reason that every knee would bow and there's another reason here it says in verse 11 and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the confession is that Jesus Christ is Lord the God who took on human flesh and lived the perfect life and died for our sins and rose from the dead that that God-man is the Lord, that every tongue should confess that he is Lord. He's Lord of all. The term confess isn't just your simple word for confess. It actually is an intensive form of it, which speaks of publicly declaring, openly and plainly confessing. It's a declaration. Now, right now, only the redeemed willingly confess Jesus as Lord, by the way some do it in a phony phony sense there will be some who have said jesus is lord with their mouth but they didn't believe it in their heart they never were forgiven from their sins they never submitted to him as lord by repenting and trusting in him and jesus will say to them on that day when they say lord lord he'll say depart from me i never knew you this speaks of a genuine confession of his lordship he is god i'm his creation i'm going to obey him i'm going to repent and believe and trust in him to openly confess every tongue, every human being ever created will openly confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will happen. It will happen. We see in chapter 10 of the book of Romans, turn there, that if we do so now, you can be saved. You can be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you and in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You see, if you believe in your heart that you're a sinner and that Jesus paid the penalty for you and he rose from the dead and you confess him, you believe he's Lord, it's going to come out in your mouth. You declare it, you understand that in your heart Jesus is the Lord. He says you shall be saved, for with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For whoever says whoever for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. It's all in the context of faith. Believes in him will not be disappointed, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. There's tremendous glory ahead for those who call upon Jesus, abounding in riches. Call upon him now. Humble yourself. I'm a sinner. I need a new savior. Lord Jesus, you died for my sins. Save me. Save me. I read this earlier in Acts chapter 2, that uh, he was highly exalted. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, the Lord says that this Jesus, has, the God has made him both Lord and Christ. You know, it's interesting. Every time we see the gospel preached in the book of Acts, it has to do with Christ being Lord in that. Turn to Acts chapter 10. We saw it in Acts chapter 2. Turn to Acts chapter 10. That element is in there. That element is in there. God, the Lord of the universe, came and took on human flesh and he died for your sins and he rose from the dead and he is supreme right now and every knee will bow and every tongue confess you have heard it Acts chapter 10 verse 34 this is the apostle Peter speaking to uh, the first Gentile converts that will be converted as they hear the gospel and opening his mouth Peter said I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality but in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he has sent to the sons of Israel, preaching, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. He's Lord of all. Now he'll go on to talk about the forgiveness of sins. That's in Christ, and they believe. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Lord. Will you do it willingly right now? Will you do it willingly? Because God loved you so much, he looked down in your horrible state, and he was merciful to you. You're in a deep trouble if you haven't come to Christ. He's merciful. Lord, save me. I believe Your God who took on human flesh and died for me. Save me. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And notice as we finish, there is a purpose. To the glory of the Father. To the glory of the Father. You see, the exaltation of Christ to his proper place glorifies the Father. You see, when every knee will bow and every tongue confesses Jesus as Lord, the Father's glorified. You see, when we confess Jesus as Lord, the Father's glorified. Every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. Turn to Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, verse 6. And you'll notice some passages that sound familiar that the Lord Jesus spoke of when he preached the gospel concerning himself and the kingdom. Isaiah 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by, by the hand and watch over you, and will appoint you as a covenant to the people as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring the prisoners out of the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from prison. I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. God will not give his glory to anyone else. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and this glorifies God the Father to the glory of God the Father. So then, because of Jesus Christ emptying himself, not considering equality with God, a thing to be grasped, held on to, taking the form of a bondservant, becoming a man becoming a man like us, yet without sin, because of his humility, depending and obeying God's redemptive plan by going to the cross for us, being obedient to the point of death, because of that, God highly exalted him, and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name, that the name that Jesus Christ possesses, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that, he is Lord to the glory of the Father. What are the applications for us? They're, they're pretty obvious, right? Well, maybe they're not. Because the passage says, have this attitude. That's the command, right? We're to think like Jesus, but we're not God. We didn't go to the cross. We're not going to be super exalted to the, to the right hand, the place where every will bow. We're not going to do that. So what's the application? We're to have the mindset of Christ. And the mindset of Christ was obedient humility for being exalted at the proper time. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. You see, we're to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. James 4.10. ten. First Peter 4.6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Folks, if you humble yourself now, God will exalt you in eternity. And in that exaltation, you won't be glorified, but God will be glorified. You see, we should be looking forward to the glories to follow. It's the sufferings now, but the glories to follow. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of earth. The road up is down. There's the sufferings for the glories to follow. Trust in Christ, surrender to to him let's pray father i pray that we would not just live this life focused on now that even for those of us who know you and want to obey and yield ourselves humble ourselves as you've told us to do have the mind that's in christ that we would also be looking forward to what you have promised that we would set our mind on the things above not the things of earth that we would consider the sufferings of this life as nothing to be compared to the glories to be revealed. That we would know that these sufferings are, are, are nothing compared to what you're going to bring forth, Lord God, for us. That we would see things from an eternal perspective. Father, I pray for those here who have not bowed their heart before you who have not truly in their heart of hearts confessed Jesus as Lord and obeyed the gospel to repent and believe, pray they would do so before it's too late, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen.